Stardate 0610.2021, also known as January 10th, 2021. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod, a kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new Star Trek and classic Star Trek. I'm your reluctant captain, Mike Garcia. Tonight, it's another loose hang. We're streaming the pod live on YouTube, and we'll be discussing the upcoming season four of Star Trek Discovery some Star Trek news, and just really anything Trek. It's it's a loose hang. So uh, with me on the view screen, we have a special guest, Stephen Fothery from Text Trek. Uh, welcome back to the show, Fothery. Howdy. I'm happy to be here. It's been a while. Last time you were on was like season one of 2017, Disco. yeah. It was uh, uh, four years ago. A lot, a lot of stuff has happened in the world. It's a very different landscape now. Yeah, there's been... Uh, about 27 new Star Trek shows announced since then. Um, but people are probably wondering what happened to my regular co-host. Uh, Mariah, Clyde, and Grant are lost in the Delta Quadrant this week. They're looking for coffee in those nebulas, I guess. Oh, no. So, Fathery, thanks so much for joining me this week. I'm super happy to have you here. Before we jump into it, I'm a fan of your podcast, Text Trek, especially the new series you're doing all about DS9. You're covering DS9 like season by season. I think you're going to start season four pretty soon, right? Yes, uh, that's going to start next week. So DS9 is my absolute favorite Star Trek. So tell us a little bit about that series and just tell us about Text Trek in general and where we can watch or listen to the show. Sure. Well, we're easy to find. You can find us on YouTube. Everything is streamed on YouTube or you can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. And the uh, main thing that we do is cover, I guess, the the new episodes as they come out week by week, but also in the off-season, I guess you can call it, when, when there's no current uh, Star Trek, uh, we do talk about some of the, the older stuff. And right now, we're having a lot of fun going through Deep Space Nine, me and my co-host Dave. He's watching it for the first time. I'm watching it for the 47th time. So we come at it with two very different perspectives. Uh, we've also had like a, a few guests on this year. We had uh, Jesse Gender, uh, really uh, oh yeah, great uh, content creator, uh, and I, I recommend people go and check that out. We've had uh, Larry Nemechek, a, uh, a world authority on the real life history of Star Trek. I would say um, so that that's a, a great uh, listen in, in my opinion, and we've had. Um, uh, Will Wynn, uh, who is kind of uh, kind of stirs up some controversy online. Uh, he's recently featured on StarTrek.com as the uh, Star Trek communist. So uh, we we have like a, a pretty big variety of things. And the thing that we try to offer when we talk about new episodes is we give a, a very deep uh, analysis of the episodes, both in the uh, the writing, the story, that type of stuff, but also like the technical details that like old school Trek nerds want to uh, geek out about. So we, we try to give like a, like a, a pretty deep look at things and uh, yeah. So we're looking forward to covering the, the new episodes coming later this year. Yeah. I love star Trek as you know, and I've been a fan since I was a kid, but you put me to shame in terms of like your fandom and how you dig into these episodes and, all the stuff that you can just recall by memory that I had to look up in, um, uh, you see, this is how bad I am. I was going to say Wikipedia memory oh, alpha. No. no, I don't, I don't talk about <laughs> the other star franchise or right. not, not on, not on my, uh, not on anything text track related though. I don't, I don't right. even like to say the name of it. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll come on here wearing the other franchise apparel, and I'll get a lot of shit for it. So I didn't do that tonight. I mean, I don't have anything against it. I just noticed that a lot of Star Trek content creators like to talk about it, and I never hear any of the other Star franchise content creators talk about Star Trek. So I'm like, that's, I don't, you're big enough, I don't need to platform you to. That's Y'all a are good on your own. Really good point. Um, those are some awesome guests that are on your show. I can't believe you got uh, Larry Nemechek and Jesse Gender. I've become a new fan of hers. I'm a really big fan of Jesse. And uh, it looks like maybe you just need Steve Shives and Will Wheaton on there. <laughs> to fill it all out, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Um, but but yeah, we've had a, we've had a lot of fun with uh, having some guests on this year, and um, I am uh, really thankful that I, I've been able to to talk people into <laughs> showing up on my my small little uh, podcast. So it's been fun. Yeah, I I highly encourage everybody to check out Text Trek and sub to the pod for obviously some great Trek talk from our our fellow Trek fans here in Austin. Well, thank you so much. That's very kind. So if you're watching us live on YouTube, please drop some questions and comments in the live chat. As usual, type capital POD, P-O-D, in front of your question. And if you're listening to the audio version of the pod, make sure to catch us live on YouTube next time, Thursdays at 9 p.m. Central. Also, sub to the pod on all platforms, including YouTube at StarTrekPod.co. All right, Father, let's jump into talking about Trek. I am... I know we're just going to have a kind of a loose hang and cover a few different topics, but I wanted to get started with season four of Disco, which I believe is coming out in 2022. That's what they say. No, they, they say it's coming out this year. Um, is it this year? I was a little skeptical, but that that's what they've... Now, they've, they've moved the goalpost before on release dates, mm-hmm. so uh, we'll see. I don't know. The thing is, they're shooting with the COVID protocols in place, where they kind of have to right. plan everything. They have to, like, really plan shots out before they shoot and they can they have to bring like department by department on on stage you have like okay the 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 set people and then they all leave and like the wardrobe people come make sure everyone's costume looks good and then they leave and then the makeup people come touch up the makeup and then they leave i don't know if that speeds up the shooting or slows it down i could see it possibly having either either effect so maybe they were able to shoot a season faster than normal because of how much they have to pre-plan everything true um but it'd be a pretty quick turnaround if they got it out before the end of the year, but that's what they claim. Yeah, the, you're right. And the, the idea is, is to get Picard out, right, in like the first quarter of 2021 and to get Disco before then. So, I mean, 2022 and then Disco this year. So hopefully we will get Disco this year. The The thing I'm kind of bummed about is that maybe Tignataro is not going to be a big part of the season because... At least not the first half. At least not the first half, yeah, because she obviously was not super comfortable showing up to the production during COVID and, but maybe we'll get some like view screen, like space Skype stuff from her on the show. Oh, that'd be cool. I didn't think yeah. of that. So I'm super interested in what you think about discovery. Cause I haven't really talked to you about it since like season one and we're yeah. heading into season four, but um, I'm sure we'll get into how you feel about the show. Just kind of ongoing just during this conversation. But first with the new season in production now, set to hit Paramount Plus, hopefully in 2021, based on that cool teaser we got a few months ago, um, reports from the set. I'm sure you're like, you're gobbling all that up. Do you have any predictions just generally for Discovery Season 4? I actually don't really have many predictions because I, I feel like we don't have, we don't have that much information to go off of at this point. And 
I do pay attention to all the official releases, but I I kind of try to like ignore like the the unofficial leaked stuff that comes out. Um, just kind of out of respect to the people that do try to like keep that stuff secret. Right. Uh, but you know the the main thing we have, I suppose, is the trailer that they they put out uh, a couple months ago, and. Yeah, the, like, I guess the main takeaways of that is that they have colorful uniforms now, and, and they're dealing with a, a gravitational anomaly. Uh, so I I don't know if it's going to be another season of like, oh, there's this big uh, space anomaly that's causing a lot of problems. It, it seems a little repetitive of season three, so I'm kind of hoping this is just something they, they deal with early in the season, and they didn't have like footage of the later stuff to put together in the, in the trailer. Yeah. But I, I, think th- I think the big thing is just going to be the... Um, the way that the show changes with Burnham in command and the, the I think that's going to be a big part of the story is like her, you know, coming into, into that role. That's obviously something that they're, they're going to want to tackle after building up to it uh, for the last three seasons. And yeah, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do with, you know, Saru with him not being on the ship. So I guess I would suspect there's going to be some other Saru B story that, Maybe like we'll cut back and forth to what he's doing and then, you know, back to the ship and back to Saru and eventually like those plot lines will dovetail and uh, build up to something together. Uh, They're talking about doing more stuff with Grey Mm -hmm. and Adira and and that relationship, which I think was one of the most interesting things in season three. And I I love that weird family between and I say weird not because of anyone's, you know, orientation or gender or anything, but it's because it's a uh, man with tardigrade DNA and his mushroom zombie husband, and they're raising a uh, girl with a, or I'm, I'm sorry, non-binary person with a slug in their belly who's dating a uh, trill ghost hologram. <laughs> so, <laughs> See, that's even weird for the Star Trek universe. Like, that's uncommon. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but. But I, I love that. I, I love that part of the show. So, yeah, there's um, it's actually Discovery. I'm l- looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to some of the other shows a bit more. And I'm, I'm not really sure what to uh, what to expect in this new season. Yeah, I uh, I'm a little I mean, I'm I'm all here for Discovery. Obviously, we started this podcast right when Discovery kicked off inspired by it and and you named the podcast after we named the podcast after it and we've been loving it all the way through but i think um something that you brought up uh a few seconds ago is it's concerning me a little bit um you know in, in modern tv obviously we have the trope of the MacGuffin and the trope of the mystery box like the J.J. Abrams mystery box. And the MacGuffin obviously is, you know, like in Guardians of the Galaxy or, or Avengers, it's a Tesseract. It's a thing everybody's chasing, right? Trying to get. And that kind of is a, the, the engine of the story. And the mystery box is just a mystery you have to solve. And I think Disco, like a lot of other shows, has for two seasons, um, season two and season three, maybe a little bit in season one, has combined those two where we get like a MacGuffin mystery box where we're chasing something throughout the entire season. And there's also a mystery around it that we have to figure out what it is or what the details of it are, or where it came from. Like in season two, we had the the red angel. We're chasing the red angel. We're trying to figure out where it is and where it's coming from. And then the mystery was, what does it mean? Right. And in season three, obviously we had the burn and, Let's let's chase the bird and find out its origins, and then uh, the mystery was what made it start, 
and can we reverse the effects? So we're always kind of chasing some kind of, you know, MacGuffin that's out there in space. And this season, it seems like there's this odd gravitational anomaly showing up randomly in places that makes everything all um, Chris, Christopher Nolan-y, you know? And we have to figure out what it is. So again, it seems like, you know, we're chasing a MacGuffin and we're, um, we have a mystery box. And I think largely, like, if those, that type of storytelling to be successful, for a lot of people anyway, the resolution of that, the, the unraveling of the mystery and the locating of the MacGuffin has to be impactful and has to really pay off and be emotionally satisfying. And I think we've, it's kind of been, for a lot of people, I think, and me included, the last two seasons, the, the sat, it hasn't been that satisfying. Like in season two, we found out the Red Angel was kind of Burnham's mom, but also kind of Burnham. And it was a little muddled. And the payoff was just kind of muddled. And then um, in season three, I wasn't a huge fan of, of, exactly what caused the burn and i do think the show does strive to like connect those resolutions to those mysteries to character like obviously in season two um the red angel being tied to burnham and her mother and how much of a huge emotional thing that was for burnham was was a good idea but i don't think it resolved all that impactfully and the same thing with um with season three, because the fact that it was uh, an alien from Kaminar who was going through this emotional trauma gave Saru some agency to become something of a mentor and a helper to this this uh, Kaminarian. I don't know. I don't remember what Kelpian. we called them. Kelpian. Kelpian. Yeah, they they eat kelp. Yes, that's so right. I guess they, that's why they're Kelpians. They they farm kelp. That's right. Uh, so yeah, I wasn't. It didn't really land. So. I don't know if we're we're going to go down the same road this season or not. How do you feel about that type of storytelling and how Disco has kind of uh, kind of led us down that path the past couple seasons? Well, I I agree with uh, everything you're saying, and I definitely understand you know the criticisms of those season finales being a little disappointing. That's one of the risks of doing this this big season long arc is that if you don't have a satisfying conclusion it feels like you know someone was telling you like a joke and it was like kind of funny and kind of goofy you're laughing at it but then you get to the end and you know the punchline just falls flat and doesn't land you know it it kind of diminishes the entire thing right Uh, one of the things that i think might be causing that is that discovery is a show that's always kind of been in a a state of flux you know you had a guy come in and develop it brian fuller and then he gets fired because he's also working on American gods and he's not getting his star Trek stuff done on time. So they, you know, they, they, they give him the ax. Uh, they have some, his lieutenants in charge of it and then they get rid of them and they bring in, uh, uh, uh Oh, sorry. Um, that was my phone. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they bring in, uh, Akiva Goldsman and Alex Kurtzman to have a bigger role. And, you know, Akiva Goldsman wants to do like this Pike spinoff. So they start setting that up in season two and, at some point, they they decide that they're going to put Michelle Paradise in charge and and jump the ship, you know, a thousand years into the future. So what we're getting at like the end of these seasons is they're they're also having to set up the new direction they go in. You know, season two they they conclude the story with the Red Angel and Mama Burnham, 
and all of that stuff, but they, they end it in a way so that they can put the ship in the future. And then, you know, season three, they, they tell the story of like, how, how did we create like this kind of post-apocalyptic weekend federation? Uh, you know, we have the burn, all the dilithium got destroyed and how did that happen? They, they do it in a way so that they can get Saru off of the ship and make Michael the new captain because they, they want her to be captain. So it's kind of because like they're, they're changing courses and they're having to end their stories in a way that, that sets up their, their new direction. And I think that is, instead of just, you know, coming up with the, the ending of their story and building towards that and kind of having it be its own thing and not worry about the next big change in the status quo of the show. I think that might be part of the issue. I'm hoping that eventually now that they they've had one consistent showrunner for an entire year, which hasn't happened previously on the the show with Michelle Paradise. I'm hoping that she'll kind of do what Michael Piller did when he came into season three of Next Generation and kind of like really helped that show find its voice. And, you know, if you go into season four of The Next Generation, that shows us firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, similar to what happened on Deep Space Nine when Ira Stephen Bear took over in season three. And, you know, you get to season four and it's just like they've worked out all the kinks. That show knows what it's doing a hundred percent. And I think that that's something that I'm looking forward to in scene in season four. Now that they've, they've had time to fine tune the show, uh, what kind of stories they're going to tell going forward. Yeah. I, you're giving me a lot of confidence now because yeah, we, uh, the episodes of Michelle paradise, um, was around for are really good. And the fact that we're going to get some stability finally with disco is encouraging. Right. And even though throughout all the showrunner changes and all the behind the scenes changes, um, I got to agree with our, our viewer, Takako. I'm going to put her comment up here on the screen. Um, Takako says, I got to bring this up. I took the ending of Discovery Season 3 as an invitation to empathy. What does the loss of his entire family, his entire people, as far as he knows, to a child? And she's talking about, I don't remember the character's name, but it was uh, the Kelpian who uh, was responsible indirectly for the burn. Um, and that was all rooted in that character's emotional journey, and it was connected to uh, Saru's emotional journey. So I think Discovery, even though it, it's gone through all these shifts in direction, seems like every at the end of every new season, like you said, we're getting a new show, and it, it feels a little unstable. I do like that it seems like it's always been committed to the to emotional storytelling. And character-based storytelling in terms of like, um, like you mentioned that family, that family unit we're getting with um, uh, with Stamets and and his new kids and his his partner. Um, this this um, this show, unlike a lot of other Star Trek shows is extremely character-based and is very interested in its characters' emotional lives. And I, I appreciate that. I want to bring up something that Marge said. You mentioned Gray earlier and Adira. Uh, Marge says, do you guys think Gray will become corporeal in season four? I think we've heard a little bit about this. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michelle Paradise was just mentioning something somewhere recently, I believe within the last week, that Gray becoming seen, like literally seen, like people being able to to see him, 
is going to be a, a big part of season four. So I don't know if, if they'll go like the Voyager route and make him stay a hologram, give him like the doctor's mobile emitter. Uh, they are in, you know, the far future where they could have that type of advanced technology. Um, that's, that's how they, it showed up on Voyager, right? It was future tech from, from their future. So I don't know if that, or, or maybe, yeah, like an actual flesh and blood body. I don't know. Maybe they'll go like the Picard route and be like, oh, uh, Brent Spiner's descendant also played by Brent Spiner is going to show up and be like, here's a golem. Just like make a new body. You're a <laughs> you golem know, like now. Ultimate and, reset. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're a golem now, and we didn't give you any special uh, robot powers. You're just not going to die today. Here you go. Yep. Yeah. You're still going to die, but uh, yeah, you're uh, you're basically back to what you would have been. Yeah. Here's your shitty 88 year old golem. Enjoy. <laughs> uh, well, you mentioned Picard. Um, got a comment here from Kern, and Kern says, "I'm hoping that the change in showrunners for Picard will lead to improvements." In season two. Um, you know, I'm not going to go on a rant about Picard because I, I enjoyed the show, but I did have some issues with it. But I do think that, you know, Michael Shabon, Shabon was the showrunner um, of that show. And I, I think it was his first time showrunning. And he's obviously a great novelist and one of our great novelists today. But I think we really need somebody who who knows how to do some uh, episodic and serialized television storytelling running that show. And, and I think what they have for this season is more of a traditional writer's room. Um, so I'm hoping we do get something that is, I don't know, a little more cohesive, a little more fun, and a little more planned out. Because I think Kurtzman himself has... has uh, uh, given some interviews where he said, well, we didn't have the ending planned out for that. And that's why it felt kind of rushed in season one. Um, what, what are your thoughts on Picard season one? And is Picard season two, one of the shows that you're looking forward to um, coming up? Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to Picard season two. I really enjoyed season one. My only problems with it were largely contained in those last two episodes. Um, a lot of the stuff Shaban did, I really liked his use of the canon. He he said that as a writer, you know, a lot of people are kind of scared to to deal with these shows with long histories where you have to you know worry about, oh, am I going to break the continuity if I do this? And he said that from his perspective, he kind of looked at those things as advantages because it gave him all these things. Oh, I can pull from this. I can have, you know, like take the Tal Shiar from here and, you know, have uh, this from, from this show and all these different things, pull it all together, you know, like the Chateau from uh, the next generation. And he liked playing around in that sandbox. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was something that like, I enjoyed like writers that are able to, to use that. Um, but yeah, there is some disappointment in the end of that season as well. It's kind of similar to what happens on Discovery. The The change in showrunner, I'm hoping, though, uh, will be advantageous. Also, considering that it's been a long time since Picard season one, right? That wrapped over a year ago. Uh, the writers had a lot of time to write before they started shooting. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that that also <laughs> kind of helped them plan the season out uh the the new showrunner i can't remember his name but he actually worked in the voyager writers room hmm. so he has some some trek credentials and he's been on on a ton of shows so he's definitely a he's a veteran he's a tv veteran so also somebody who could potentially 
find some gold when digging into canon and bring it back into Picard season two, like kind of like Shabon did. Like I really, sorry, I call him Shabon. Uh, I really did enjoy the, uh, uh, the way he fleshed out the Romulans and their mm-hmm. subculture. That was really great. Yeah, and I love that. Carrying, carrying on that story from, um, from the beginning of Trek 2009 into the prime timeline with Picard, I thought was really fun and really interesting. Um, but yeah, what do you think about Q coming back? John Delancey, were you a fan of Q? I know like the fandom can be split on Q. I've always liked Q. I mean, part of it was as a kid when I was watching, you know, Next Generation and Voyager and, and saw all those Q episodes. I, I thought he was funny then. So I kind of just, you know, just grew up accepting him as part of part of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always wanted to see more Q. I always thought, you know, back when they were making next generation movies, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe they'll get John Delancey to show up in the next movie. So I I've, um, I've been looking forward to the return of Q for, I guess, 20 years is 2001 on a, well, no, I take that back. He showed up on lower decks. Um, right. right. Last year, <laughs> but I've been looking forward to the live action you know, return of Q. Yeah. Yeah, like more than just like a little cameo on a mm-hmm. cartoon, and yeah. I love Lower Decks. Not to not to say anything bad about that, but right. yeah, like the true return of Q, and I think you have to have that with John Luke. Just the the way that Next Generation started, you know, Q being there from the beginning, the way that show ended with Q being there at the end and telling him, you know, the the test goes on. You are you are the one that we judge humanity off of. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be with with Picard. It's so interesting because now Picard is you know, uh, kind of a man-machine hybrid who has been giving, has been given an unnaturally extended life. And if Q's going to come back and continue the trial for humanity and put Picard on trial and have Picard defend humanity once again, Picard's going to be coming at it from a completely different perspective because he's no longer just a human. Um, And I'm interested to find out if you know, I, I think in the TNG finale, Picard was able to successfully argue to Q that humanity is not done changing, growing, and evolving. It could eventually look and be look different and be capable of much more than it currently was. And now Picard seemingly is a new type of being who has evolved out of humanity into something else. So I know I'm getting a little heady with this, but I just, I I find the, the implications of that really intriguing. And I can't wait to see how Q is going to react to the fact that Picard has essentially transcended his humanity, especially since they're, connection was all about Q being so interested in the concept of humanity and judging it through Picard, who's no longer human. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't thought about it from that angle because Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not sure how much they're going to lean into the uh, synthetic Picard Mm -hmm. angle. Like they could potentially just kind of treat it like when Spock got regenerated on Genesis three, you know, and like, like, Oh, like he's back to live and we're just going to act like he's normal. Yeah. Or same thing with like Dr. Kohlberg got like a new body made out of mushrooms and we're just going to, you know, act like it, <laughs> act like nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't know if, if they'll go that route or if they'll like really lean into it or somewhere in between. I, you know, I've, I've seen some theories, uh, that 
Q's just going to show up and snap Picard back into his old body. And he's going to be human again. And we'll erase the last couple episodes of uh, Picard season one. So I don't think they'll go that far. No, and, and I, I don't think they need to do that. Um, they, they don't really get into like the details of like how like these, uh, these new synthetic bodies work, but mm-hmm. I just kind of assumed, you know, it's like a, it's like a BSG Cylon. Like he, he's still, he's still flesh and blood he's yeah. grown in a, a big jar and not a, uh, not a, a traditional approach to like making a, a human body, but it's, it's kind of the same stuff, you know? Do you bleed Picard? Do you bleed? Uh, Hey, you mentioned lower decks. Um, Tell me about how you're feeling about Lower Decks. I, our pod has loved it. We, um, we have a good time, obviously, with all the Easter eggs and references. But, but the characters are great. And the storytelling, the character-based storytelling, like Disco, uh, on Lower Decks has been a real, a, a real joy to watch over season one. So how are you feeling about Lower Decks? And uh, what do you think is going to happen in season two? I think I needed lower decks just with the the variety of, of the shows. You know, Discovery and Picard can both get a little dark at times, especially like each one of their first seasons. And it was kind of nice to have a more like comfort foodie Star Trek where like people aren't going to die unless, you know, they eventually build up like big deaths. And it was like it was like a scary thing. You know, it was kind of shocking when you see it happen in that season finale. But, you know, for the most part, you know, like everyone's going to be OK at the end. And because uh, it's not funny, you know, if it's not like the, a dark, like Rick and Morty show where, you know, you laugh at like people getting disintegrated and stuff like that. So it was kind of nice uh, to have like something that was felt like a little wholesome, traditional Star Trek. And, you know, in a lot of ways, as crazy as, as Lower Decks is, it, it is kind of the most like at least Berman era star mm-hmm. trek it, it, and that's not by accident mike mcmahon has said that he really has to lean into those like traditions and those tropes and those looks and stuff because he's doing an animated comedy and it in order to make that feel like star trek you really have to dial the star trekiness of it up to 11 14 you know, to still bleed through over the all the bombastic comedy and exciting animation and everything so but i, I love that i love that combination i love that mixture if it was the only Star Trek show on the air. I don't know if I'd be satisfied, but having like this buffet of shows where you can have like, oh, this one show is going to be like a hard hitting drama and this other one's going to be a little bit more action packed. And then this one's going to be like the animated comedy. So I like that. Yeah, the game plan has been really good because they're keeping things fresh. We're getting almost different genres from every show or different types of Trek. And I think I think you, you hit the nail right on the head with um, Lower Decks. It is comfort trek, right? Because it's the trek that a lot of us, especially our generation, really knows and loves and is comfortable with. Like, like our comfort shows are 90s trek, our Berman era trek. And the fact that Mike McMahon has anchored this show that in tone and in style and delivery is obviously... Um, experimental for the Trek franchise, but he anchored it in something that we're all very familiar with and something that is comforting to us in that Berman era. Like that was just so genius because you go in and you feel like you have a safety net, right? It's like, okay, I'm in the TNG time uh, in the TNG era and it, it just feels good. And the fact that the fact that he's building such rich characters and and kind of uh, 
litigating Star Trek too and kind of it being so meta and just building those layers on top of it. I think it was so smart of McMahon and the producers to to root that show in Berman era Trek. It's it's great. And Okay, so we were talking yeah um you brought up like the the trek that we're comfortable with and let's talk about strange new worlds. Um, so the word from Paramount is that strange new worlds will be more episodic than say Picard or disco. It's coming out in 2022. I hope, um, I don't think it's going to be as episodic as TOS, but it's still being billed as kind of a throwback. Um, do you think that, the more episodic approach is a good idea for the adventures of new Pike, new Spock and new number one on the enterprise. Yeah, I actually do think that's a really good idea and I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm kind of a weird person in that. Like, I think there's like amazing modern TV shows on on the air right now, but I don't really like plug into like the current, like golden age of television as much as like, uh, most people I know do. Um, I, I have a lot of like old school sensibilities. I, I I spend more hours watching TV shows that came out in a year that began with a one than I do watching shows that came out in a year that began with a two. I know yeah. like, I, I know I'm weird for that. So I, I think that's kind of refreshing to take like a more classic approach. Akiva Goldsman, who's kind of front and center on on this show, has said that it'll be closer to TOS than Deep Space Nine in terms of episodic versus serialization, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's probably going to be the the case. They've, they've also said that, like, you know, there will be, like, character development and stuff like that. I, I think it'll actually probably be pretty close to Deep Space Nine if you look at... Before they started doing, like, the long arcs with, like, the Dominion War and the stuff in, you know, the last uh, two or three seasons, it was a show that was mainly standalone episodes, but they had, like, a big sense of continuity. They would, like, reference things that happened a couple episodes ago. This is stuff that Dave and I are talking about now as we're revisiting or he's visiting for the first time but as we're going through deep space nine like an example would be you have nog who has this realization he wants to join starfleet he's going to be the first ferengi in starfleet and then you know you see him a couple episodes later and now he's like taking a test to get into the academy and then you know a couple episodes later you see like oh he's going to earth to be at the academy and then a couple episodes later like they're on earth and you see him there you know they're still tell- telling all these standalone stories but it's not like you could just like cut and paste them and put them in whatever order you want because then nog will like be all over the place mm-hmm. in, the, in his character arc so i think it'll have those types of of small kind of background arcs but have these these big self-contained narratives that have a beginning, middle, and end within the you know forty-five minute episode. Yeah, DS Nine obviously gets praised for those really satisfying long-form character arcs, like with Nog, um, and with really every major character on that show. And I think that show didn't really become ultra serialized the way like Picard is, the way Discovery can be. Until the final season, like I think they had those that final season arc that was about ten or twelve episodes. That was just the last just, ten, just run and gun right after one after the other, and it was it was amazing. And at that point, when I was watching the show, I had I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that that was so um, serialized. 
uh, other than soap operas I watch with my grandmother. But um, it was it was awesome. It was a breath of fresh air, and I love that type of storytelling. But I also love um, really what DS9 did throughout most of its run, which and we're talking about modern shows. I think Fringe did it really well. Um, also, I, I think Akiva Goldsman was involved in that as well. And some of J.J. Abrams' homies were involved in that as well, where um, we got really good episodic stories, but with really um, uh, long-form character arcs that really paid off in a number of ways. Um, And I think that type of model would be great for something like Strange New Worlds, where like with the new Loki show, I'm not sure if you're watching Loki, Mm -hmm. but um, the goal with that- We had a Star Trek actor in it. We had had a- Eugene Cordero Lower Decks yeah yeah, yeah. Pillboy making a Doctor Who reference yes so um, yeah with Loki the idea was to to definitely have uh, a serialized show but to have every episode be somewhat self-contained and have its own story so you can go back and say oh I remember that episode of Loki I think a lot of times especially with Picard and some of the Discovery um, episodes, they all kind of get muddled together because it's one long story and you're, you you never really remember like, oh yeah, that one episode. Um, at, at least for me, that's rare. But I think with Strange New Worlds, there's the, the probability that we're going to get something that really marries the episodic with the long form storytelling that I think will be really cool. And plus we'll get all those like, it seems like a show that's going to be very uplifting and have a lot of those kind of like great throwback colorful pop visuals that um, that we got from TOS. And that's something that I haven't experienced a lot because I haven't watched a lot of TOS. I love the TOS movies, but I haven't really, ex- you know, I haven't watched the entire series, the original series, uh, all the way through. Maybe that's something I should do soon. But I love TOS. Yeah. Should, should, is there, okay. If I'm going to dive into TOS and watch the entire thing, should I just start from the cage and go on? Or should I, you know, find a list online with the best episodes? What do you think? Well, some people are kind of allergic to shows and movies that are too old. So, like, depending on, like, your tolerance, like, like do you do you watch, like, other, like, stuff from, like, the 50s or 60s? Um, yeah, I, I'm a huge Dick Van Dyke fan. I love old sitcoms. Yeah. But I, I would say, yeah, just like, just try to, you know, just, just plow through it from, from beginning to end. That first season is actually pretty strong. And, and I, one thing that I kind of miss in, in modern Trek is that the original series, they, they did have like these very tightly written episodes that, that were very strong, self-contained stories. And, you know, sometimes like I'm probably the only person under the age of 45 who, who thinks TOS is better than next generation, but I'm, I'm, you know, a weirdo like that, or maybe a old soul. I don't know. But one one thing that I like about the original series is that, yeah, it can be melodramatic, but there's always kind of a sense of, of urgency or where the next generation, they kind of meander at times or like, well, let's go in the, our boardroom and and talk about this and, from every different angle and you know on the original series it'd be a, a lot more like oh there's like a ticking clock we have to solve this problem soon or this entire planet's gonna die and and i kind of i kind of miss that that flair and excitement that the original series often had and and still had you know these cool heady sci-fi concepts and i like that that aesthetic i like the uh 
the retro futurism of it. So I, I enjoy a lot of that stuff. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing that updated for a modern audience in Strange New Worlds. I think that's one of the things I'm probably most excited about, actually, is Strange New Worlds. I, I'm with you. I'm really excited about it. That's probably the, the of all the Trek stuff on the horizon. That's the one that that that's really grabbing me at the moment. Um, so we have a comment here from Kern. It says, as much as I love TOS, it's annoying how little connection between the episodes there is, like how they forget the Romulans had a cloaking device. <laughs> yeah, I feel that, but I don't know. I, you know, like would, this was a big debate. I'm sure you've talked about it with people, but you know, when Disco premiered and the Klingons didn't look like uh, TOS era Klingons, that was fine. It's 2020. They're going to update the look. And the Klingons never really had a consistent look. Um, so in terms of like, I don't know, I'm not really a, a stickler for canon. How do you feel about that stuff? I don't think it's the most important thing in the world, but I, you, it makes a lot of people happy when you get it right. So I encourage them to, you know, to try like, yeah, like I'll be open minded. And, you know, if, if they if they get things wrong, then uh, I get to have like all the fun of trying to do the continuity gymnastics and figure out a, a way to uh, to explain it in my head canon. So that that's uh, kind of a, a a fandom pastime in and of itself. Yeah, uh, but I I think that's something that they're a little bit more aware of with the shows now because there was a, some pushback on on Discovery season one and it, you know something that the last few seasons you know what we got in, in discovery season three i guess and what we saw in lower decks I, I think they are trying to be like a little bit more aware of that type of stuff so i'm not i'm not worried about it and and yeah star trek's never been perfect about it anyways yeah um lee's a says i'm watching tos from the third season last episode going backwards and thanks to our watch along pals it's a great experience oh yeah for everybody who's listening or watching, uh, if you haven't joined us on Patreon, uh, it's a, at the $2 level, you get to join our, um, private Slack group where pretty much every night, uh, there's Star Trek watch along. So you get to watch random Star Trek episodes with tons of people who love Star Trek. So, so get on that at patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. But that's an interesting way to watch it from the third season going backwards. Yeah. I was kind of thinking, why would you want to do that? But then I'm thinking like, oh, well, the show will get better if you do that because the, the third season is is really yeah. weak. Right, right. And then the, the first two seasons are really strong. So Yeah. How do you feel about the animated series? I love it. Uh, it took me a while to, to get to the point. And I think it's just, would you really deep dive into a franchise? Eventually you've consumed everything or you've, you've watched it all multiple times and you're kind of like hungry for more. That might have happened to me. I used to be very dismissive of the animated series. I grew up with uh, Michael and Denise Okuda's uh, Star Trek encyclopedia that came mm -hmm. out. And I think the first one came out in 94, but I, I, I bought like every edition of it. I, I, I used to like fall asleep, you know, reading this, this big Star Trek encyclopedia every night and, and they omitted it. And I think that's kind of like, well, the animated series doesn't count. And I kind of always took that mm, yeah. mentality, but you know, in, in recent years I, I've, I've watched it a couple of times and I've actually grown to really, appreciate it it does feel like to me more of the original series and i the original series is my second favorite mm -hmm. star trek af after deep space nine but as i also read the the novel by aaron harvey and rich shepas and we had both of them appear on text trek uh last year 
Um, so people can go and, and check that out. Uh, but th- they're great. And, you know, their, their book really like dove in like the behind the scenes, kind of the history of that show. And it's a legitimate Star Trek show. I, you know, some people can't deal with the TV animation style of, of the 70s. And I get it. Like, it's not top of the line. It doesn't look like, you know, like a Disney or Warner Brothers cartoon. It's this filmation style cartoon. But, you know, some people can't deal with like the repetitive music. There's like five there's like five audio tracks that they just like keep recycling <laughs> constantly. Hey, if the, we could watch Scooby, are solid. If we could watch Scooby Doo with like them running and their backgrounds repeating a hundred times. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can watch the animated series. Um, I, I do think that, you know, with new Trek starting from the Kelvin timeline ongoing, the animated series has been given a lot more credence. I mean, there is an episode of the animated series in which, we see Spock's development as a young child on Vulcan that very much feeds into his arc in Star Trek 2009 and I think also inspired the writers. Um, so, yeah, that that show is definitely legitimate. And our um, uh, my co-host, Mariah, loves the animated series and has gotten me into it lately. So I'm really enjoying it. Um, and in some ways, it's kind of better than some of the original series episodes because there, there are some episodes that just – drag and feel kind of like bloated and it's like man if they could have just like trimmed this down to a a tight little faster paced 23 minute story it would work better and and there's a lot of stories like that in the animated series yeah you know a lot of the same writers a lot of the same writers that worked on tos worked on tas hey i want to i want to put a challenge to everybody in the chat uh guys as we go on over the next 15 minutes um in the comments try and guess what bridge is the background for Steven's uh, background here? Just just try, and we'll let you know at the end, and we'll see who gets it right. Um, because I got it wrong. I, I thought, well, I'm not going to say what I thought it was, but yeah, just, just let us know what you think it is, uh, and don't give us any clues, uh, Steven. Oh, I won't. All right. Um, hey, so we're talking about Old Trek, and this is kind of a, a question I want to ask like every Star Trek fan that I ever meet, because... I'm not sure why, but I, I kind of love Star Trek V for tons of different reasons. I've talked about it before on this pod. We covered it. Everybody hated it. I've, I've, I loved it. I was the oddball. Do you love or hate this, this William Shatner-directed masterpiece, or do you have like lukewarm feelings about it? Where does, where does Star Trek V fall for you, The Final Frontier? I mean, I don't, I don't hate any Star Trek movie. Um... I don't even know if I would say like I dislike any Star Trek movie, but I I don't. There there's stuff that I do like about it. It's probably uh it's, I think it's like number three hmm. from the bottom. How I oh. would rank the movies. I was like number three. Wow. No. Yeah. No. The, from the three from the bottom. So yeah, that'd make it what like number eleven, I guess, from the yep. top. Uh, the, I like like the opening. I like the camaraderie with uh, Bones and Spock and Kirk. And yes, I some of the Cybok stuff I actually like, and I yes. like the the performance. Uh, Shatner actually makes some good directorial choices in that movie. Like there, there's some stuff that's shot in very interesting ways. You know, something that stands out to me is you know like when when he gives like the hostage video when when Cybok sends like that staticky video to the mm-hmm. Federation and mm-hmm. Kirk and Spock are watching on the bridge. You know, Cybok is kind of like purposefully like walking towards the camera and mm-hmm. giving his demands and it, it doesn't make a lot of sense for someone to do that, but it it, it looks really cool and you know like Shatner is not a bad director, but it was just unfortunate that 
you know, that movie went over budget and they had to skim on a lot of the special effects and the whole third act just falls apart. You know, I, I can't say it's a, it's a good movie in my opinion, but I certainly enjoy aspects of it. And I, I think that's really cool. If, if, if you love it, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that it did something for you that it didn't do for most people. Everything you said about it, like that shot of Cyborg uh, in the hostage video going towards the camera, like that is burned into my brain. And Lawrence Luckinbill's performance, even though it can be criticized now, like it's not as, doesn't have a lot, as much gravitas as maybe it should have, but it's just, I love it. And I'm I'm glad Sean Connery didn't play that part because I think Lawrence Luckinbill had a a great like uh, sense of, of uh, mystery and foreboding about him. And then at the end, he has this great, like, big heart and empathy, right? And it's cool. It's a cool performance. Um, I kind of wish we had gotten, you know, Cybok Redux in um, in Discovery. Maybe we will. It would be so bold. Yeah. That would be so brave if they did that. I, I don't think, I think the only show that would ever have the courage to do Cybok would be Lower Decks because they <laughs> yeah. could play it as a joke. Right. Uh, I don't think anyone else would be brave enough. I don't think so either. It'd be cool. Strange New Worlds could do it. They could have like Cybok, you know, come over and visit Spock or something. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered what uh, Cybok of the Mirror Universe would be like, and I just assume that he has like like this like death cult, and he's just kind of like like the 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 Charles Manson of the, of, of the Mirror Universe, <laughs> and he's just like this like this evil like a uh, leader of this little religious group going around murdering people. Yeah, he has. Uh... He has a Vulcan insignia, like, tattooed on his forehead. Oh, yeah. He's, like, upside-down Idic yes. to make it, like, evil. Yes. It's, it's the, the, the Idic logo. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, okay. So, we have a few guesses. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait a little bit to see if, if somebody can guess. I'm not going to say whether or not somebody has guessed correctly what your bridge is. Um, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it in a second. Um, okay. So, uh, someone asked me this, uh, on one of our live streams a few weeks ago and I kind of fumbled with the answer cause I don't know, but, um, let's say somebody in your age group, in our age group came to you and said, Hey, I think it's time for me to get into Star Trek. Where do I start? Where do you start them? I would ask them, well, you know, what kind of shows are you into? If they were like, oh, yeah, I, I like to watch like a lot of old vintage, vintage sci-fi stuff. I like Planet of the Apes and Twilight Zone and, uh, you know, that that type of stuff. Uh, Soylent Green and all of those movies, those sci-fi movies. I'd be like, okay, you need to start with the original series. Um, if, if they were someone who was really into like, you know, modern sci-fi but didn't like older stuff, they're someone who might have done BSG or like The Expanse, uh firefly and and nothing really older than that and they they were kind of hesitant to go back past that i'd be like you need to start on discovery um a lot of people i actually think like the next generation is kind of a good starting point but it it is kind of a rough first season so i would encourage people you know like try to to get through like those those first two seasons and if you can't do it uh just cut to yesterday's enterprise and then like go from there to uh, best of both worlds part one and then go straight into season four and you'll have a good time. Yeah. That that's a good idea. I always kind of fumble with the answer because I always want to like some, most of my favorite episodes or movies are, are episodes that involve like time travel or some like really complicated continuity. Um, 
like like yesterday's enterprise. It's amazing, but it can be confusing maybe for a newbie because you you know you have two different eras of Trek interacting, so maybe that's confusing. And um, uh, like the visitor from DS Nine is probably my favorite personal mm. Star Trek episode, but that is. That's an outlier, right? That's and we'll be talking about that one next week when we start oh. season four of DS9. Yeah, right. Yeah, Dave Dave just watched it for the first time, I think, last night. And he messaged cry? me like, oh, yeah, I'm crying. Yep, yep. Oh, it's so I, – to this – I can't count how many times I've seen it. And to this day, just waterworks. Oh, I, I Like, if I start the episode, that opening shot when it, it shows, uh, you know, Tony Todd in there. He's got, like, the picture of his dad and, like, the baseball. And, like, the music starts to swell. Like, like 20 seconds into the episode, I start crying. Just – automatic reaction yeah. yeah dude i'm going to zoom out a bit so people can get a better look at your bridge are you giving away all my secrets yeah 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 and so you know here, here are more clues if you can guess this in the next like five minutes or so guys <laughs> um all right Okay, so uh, tell us what's coming up next on text trick i know you got the ds9 thing maybe um Maybe you can suggest a few episodes for newcomers to get into uh, with the podcast. Sure. Well, last week we just released a uh, conversation on the Woman in Motion documentary, which is streaming here in the United States on Paramount+. Plus. It's about uh, Nichelle Nichols, who played Uhura on the original series, and the amazing work she did for NASA recruiting astronauts. And she actually played a major role in bringing in uh, the first generation of, of women astronauts, of uh, people of color uh, in, into the American space program. And uh, I, I had always heard about this stuff, but I couldn't believe how much work that she did and how much she specifically changed the American space program for the better. So I highly recommend people watch that documentary and check out our conversation on it. Uh, also, uh, next week we are continuing... Uh, Deep Space Nine, like I was mentioning, we're starting off uh, season four, and after that, we'll be covering the the news that's coming out of uh, San Diego Comic Con this year. I think there's going to be some big Trek announcements. I think we'll kind of get the lay of the land, what like the next few months will look like with Star Trek releases at going after Lower Decks, and starting in August 12th, I'll actually hopefully uh, be able to cover the season two premiere of lower decks but i'll be in las vegas at the time i'll be at star trek las vegas so if anyone is hitting up that that convention uh look for me if if you find me at the bar and say hey i uh, i saw you on star trek discovery pod or i saw you on text trek i'll, I'll probably buy you a drink and uh talk trek with you so uh, don't be shy say hi is that something you try to go to every year uh, I've only I've only done it one time before when the last one they did two years ago because they you know had to skip it last year. Yeah. Um, this might be the last year they have it or might be the last year they have it at, at the Rio where it's traditionally been. So uh, I, I definitely want to make it there. But yeah, like I, I like doing the convention stuff. Um, I'm going to be on the the Star Trek cruise again in in March and also uh, in April uh, Mission Chicago. Uh, so yeah, I, I try I try to hit up the the big one. So if anyone ever sees me, uh, you know, please uh, come up and say hi to me. I really need to go on one of those Star Trek cruises. Just the idea of a Robert Picardo one man show, like I need to see that. Oh, it is it is a uh, so much fun that it's the second best vacation I've ever been on. Yeah, and and my partner who's not as 
huge of a Star Trek fan. She's watched the shows, but she doesn't like live for it like I do. Um, but but she had a blast too, and yeah, she loved it as well. So I highly I highly recommend people. Uh, I I wish I could afford to do it every year, but it's it's something that you know, I, I I did in 2018. I'm doing again now, and hopefully they'll keep doing it, and I'll I'll do it again some other time. Yeah, I'll definitely do that before I die. Uh, we have some guesses to your bridge and I'm going to bring them up and you, how about you tell the listeners and the viewers if they're right or wrong. Okay. Lise says, is it the Prometheus? Uh, no, it is not, but that is a lovely ship. And I really love that. Uh, the, the interiors and the exterior is very well designed. Remind me of the Prometheus. That is from the Voyager season four episode ship or message in a bottle in which they are able to send the doctor to the Alpha Quadrant, and he lands on a ship that has right. a medical hologram played by Andy Dick. Andy Dick, that's right, that's right. And the two of them have to uh, save the ship from a uh, Romulan takeover. Yeah, that that's a pretty fun episode. Uh, Marge says, the bridge of the Defiant. Uh, no, that's a tough little ship, but uh, this ain't her bridge. Carmen also guessed the Defiant. Sorry, Carmen. Um... Oh, here's a pretty good guess. Lee says, is it the timeship relativity from Voyager? Uh, no. Good guess, though. Not, 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 that, uh, not that far in the future. You're getting out there, yeah. Oh, we got a couple guesses that it's a ship from, uh, well, actually, is it the NSEA protector from Galaxy Quest? Uh, it is not. Charlie says, I got nothing. Is it a Pac-Led ship? No. No. <laughs> Come on. The Pac-Leds wouldn't have like this nice looking yeah, I mean, consoles yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Pac-Led ships are trash. Uh, Kern, the Excelsior? That is very close. Mm-hmm. That is a very close guess. Very close. Guys, keep keep guessing. We're almost down to the bottom. Uh, Lise, the Orville ship? Oh, that's a negative. Interesting guess. Interesting guess. All right. Marge is getting close. She's like, those chairs are so distinctive. What could it be? Okay. No one has got it right. All right. Let us know what it is. Well, no one has gotten it right out of the the live viewers, but someone might watch this later and pick up on it. True. Oh, we got one more guess. It is not the Stargazer. Stargazer, not the Stargazer. Okay. If... You're just listening to this. Sorry. <laughs> but you can check out the video at Star Trek Pod uh, at youtube.startrekpod.co. All right. Reveal it, Fathery. Do, do you want me to reveal it or do you want to see if any of the uh, the people watching it later might guess it? No, I want you to reveal it. I, wa- I okay. want our live viewers to know what it is. It is the Enterprise B that only shows up at the beginning of Star Trek Generations, but it was kind of a, it was a redress of the the Enterprise A bridge set, which they also used for the Excelsiors. That was a very close guess. I was going to guess. I almost guessed because I didn't know when you popped on on the call. I was going to guess that it was maybe the D, the Enterprise D, because it looks really modern. But it doesn't look that modern. It definitely looks like a movie ship because it looks like the lighting is darker and more distinctive. And that's one thing about the the next-gen movies, especially Generations. The lighting in Generations is like the best thing about that damn movie. But yeah, uh, but yeah that is the Enterprise B. And I do have a special place in my heart for the Enterprise B where, uh, 
where Scotty, where, where Captain Harriman was a Harriman. Mm-hmm. Captain Harriman uh, basically shit the bed and had to have Kirk uh, save his ship as it was uh, as the Nexus came and threw everything to hell. Uh, Takako, you're right. That is a deep cut. That's what you get uh, with Fathery. <laughs> I went with it because it, it looks like it can kind of be from multiple eras, and it is kind of mm-hmm. it is kind of indistinct. For for my purposes, it is it is the bridge of the uh, of the Starship Texas, which is where I I broadcast from. Is that the one you typically use on your shows? Yeah, it's a it's an actual like Ambassador class Starship registry number NCC two six oh three oh four. I think yeah, that's the registry, and it makes sense. It, like that's where like the Ambassador classes typically like slot into the registry numbers in star trek so i I put a lot of thought into it very too much (laughs) more more thought than anyone should dude come on it's what we do all right we're coming up on the hour thanks again father for jumping on the pod with me tonight remind us where we can find text trek sure and uh thank you for having me but uh you can find uh text trek at uh, text-trek.com or find us on youtube uh we're on facebook and you can also follow me on Twitter at TX Trek. All right. Everyone visit StarTrekPod.co to sub and follow the pod on all podcast platforms and YouTube. We want those YouTube subs, so please follow us there. Uh, just go to StarTrekPod.co for all the links. Also, again, if you want to join our private Trek fan Slack group uh, with Trek episode watch-alongs almost every night with tons of awesome positive trek fans go to patreon.com slash star trek pod and sign up at the two dollar level that's patreon.com slash star trek pod again fathery thanks again we'll talk soon and everyone thanks for supporting the pod follow me on twitter at mike moody garcia live long and prosper